um, Acts chapter 2, and um, I want to preach uh, this morning on a text that we all know really well. Um, I, in, in preaching this this morning, I'm just going back and checking some of the history of where I've preached. I think I've preached this about six or seven times, this text, these five or so verses. And, um, and I think that probably five of those times I've preached on a summit Sunday. Um, so, uh, so it's like, how much more can you say on those scriptures on a summit Sunday? But it's just, it's a beautiful passage to be able to just refocus and see what could be and see what can be and see what church is meant to be and um, what can happen if God's people can just get a sense of who He is and, and who, who, who the Spirit is and what the Spirit can do and, and who we are together. And if we can get a grab hold of that, then it changes everything in our lives. It changes what church is. And so if you have your Bibles, um, Acts chapter 2, we'll read from verse 42. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll put them on the screen behind me so that you can follow from there. Verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, if you've got an NIV, it'll say, and to prayers. And uh, the ESV says, and to the prayers, which is a little bit more accurate. What it means here is they weren't just committing themselves to praying. They were committing themselves to the formal part of the worship structure, the prayers. It was when they gathered together, they committed themselves to the prayers. For us, it would be something like they committed themselves to gathering and worshiping together. It would kind of be something like that. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All came upon every soul. I read this over and over again, and that word just pumps out every single time I read it. And all. And all came upon every soul. When's the last time you were completely awed? Do you remember? Remember the last time you were in awe? Maybe you were six years old and it was a roller coaster and you were just in awe. Perhaps you were on holiday. First time you were on a plane and you're flying. You're just in awe that this thing could take off like that. But you were in awe. Do you remember what it was like? Well, when you read through the Soviet, it seems that it was like normal. It was normal for those who gathered. That church is a place where those who were there would be in awe. They would be in awe of God, and God did many wonders and miraculous signs amongst them. And I think one of the reasons why God doesn't do miraculous signs amongst us is because we don't really need miraculous signs anymore. Because after all, you know, you've got a credit card if you need money, you've got a doctor if you're sick. And so what's the need? Why do we have to pray for healing? Why do we have to pray for provision? We can take care of ourselves. But I think if we had to pray more for signs and wonders, if we had to pray more, into healing. You pray for, if you pray for 100 people who are sick, you're going to see healing more times than if you pray for no one who's sick. So they did these signs and wonders. and I love this. It says this, And all who believed, verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceedings to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together. This is the big group, the big, the big gathering of worship day by day. Get in, in the big group worship, that would be kind of this. And breaking bread in their homes. These are the small groups and in small, small, uh, small expressions of worship in people's homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you know some of the things that are happening over here? They're growing in depth in their devotion and their relationship with God. They're growing in their influence uh, with the city. They're growing in favor with those around them. 
And they're growing numerically. God's adding to their number daily. And, and if you want to have a really good picture of what church growth looks like, that's what church growth looks like. A growing church grows not only in numbers, but a growing church grows as its people grow in depth and also as it grows in influence with those around them. That's, that's what a growing church looks like. Because we could be a church that has every single chair full and, and you'd be sitting in the front here on your, um, you know, cross-legged and, and we'd be bringing chairs in and fill up the whole thing. And some people would be standing at the back and we'd all look back with awe and we'd go, wow, this church is growing, isn't it? But is it really growth if the churches around the area are all closing down? <laughs> That's not really growth. All that is, is we're just moving sheep from sheep pens to this one. That's, all it, that's not church growth. Church growth happens when people who don't know Christ come to know Christ. When those who come to know Christ are growing in their depth and knowledge of God and more in love with Jesus. And as that happens, influence is extended beyond just the walls that we meet in, but beyond into our city. We grow in favor and we grow in influence as we influence those around us. thought of another word that could maybe grab hold of this. and I thought of this word compelling. I think that this happened because this was a compelling church. It was a compelling place to be. Here's some ideas of what that word compelling means. It means captivating. It means persuasive, exciting, or forceful. It means undeniable. It means gripping or convincing or fascinating or enthralling or absorbing. Imagine coming together in this. That's what it was. Your friend would say to you in the marketplace, hey, Ishmael, you need to come along. You need to check what's happening. There's this group of people, they're getting together. There's signs and wonders taking place over there. And you're like, ah, oh, come on. There's, I'm a sign. What are you talking about? I promise you, the blind are seeing, Ishmael, you need to come. Ishmael goes along with his friend and they arrive there. And, and, and what happens is this blind person that they've known all their lives, he comes up and the apostles pray for the blind person. The blind person can see and, and you're like, no way. And he turns around, he's, Ishmael, is that you? First time he's seen you in his whole life. Signs and wonders. It's a gripping place to be. People want to see that they can't believe it. Here's my friend who has need, but now he's got food. Where did you get food from? He's here, can't believe it. We gathered to worship and someone sold this land. They had a holiday house. They sold the holiday house and they gave me money so that I could buy a house to live. Oh, really? Yes. That's a compelling place to be. That's a place when people gathered in this place over there, they were filled with awe. That's what awe is. Imagine this could be a place like that. Imagine that this could be a place that when you speak to your friends that you work with or uh, your, your, your colleagues or, or those who study with you or those who are in your class and you speak to them, you say, hey, man, I'm going to church on Sunday. And they go, oh, big deal. And you're like, oh, what? Yeah, you're right, big deal. Man, when I go to church, it's a compelling place. When I come together in that place over there, people even know if you have needs. When we come together and we worship, God shows up. Like God shows up. People come in sick and they leave healthy. People come in blind, not only physically, but also spiritually, and they leave being able to understand spiritual truth, and they leave being able to see physically. They go, really? What church? You go, I go to that church. Oh, that church. Because even they are aware, because the influence has spread, that's a compelling place. Friends, I believe that as we launch out this year, that it would be a great vision to shoot for, to say that this, what happens if, ask this question, what happens if this could be the most compelling place for our friends to be introduced to Jesus, for explorers to explore Jesus, and for those who have met him to grow in him,
in East London? What if this was the most compelling place? And that's not to say, here's our goal. We want to be better than any other church in East London. No, no, no. We're not competing with other churches. We're competing with hell. We're not competing with churches. We don't want to compete with churches. They're doing the same thing that we're doing. They preach the same Jesus that we preach. They sing and worship the same Jesus we sing and worship. All we're saying is, hey, could, could we be something like that? Could we be a great supplemental witness to each other? In other words, when you go to um, the, the office or wherever you go on Monday, when you arrive at that place and you share with someone that you were in church on Sunday and they decide to come with you the next week, will what we're doing over here, will it harm your witness in the office or will it help your witness in the office? If it helps, we're a great supplemental witness. You say to your mates on the rugby field, hey, I heard that uh, you know, you're going through a tough time. Come with me to church. And he goes, what? And then he comes to church. And when you arrive at church, you're like you're all dressed up in your, like, I don't know if you're wearing a suit today. I'm not looking. If you, you're dressed up in your suit and you, you're walking all quiet, he's like, geez, you're really like, loud on the rugby field. You're like, shh, we don't talk loud in here. The guy's like, what are you talking about? Can I go have coffee? No, 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 no. The coffee's only for the elders. We don't have, no, no, we have water. In a styrofoam cup, the elders, they get the real coffee. I mean, that's not supplementing anybody's witness. That's embarrassing people there. That's harming people's witness. But what happens if this could be the most compelling place? And if we're going to shoot for that, for this to be the most compelling place, there's three things we're going to need to work on this year, guys. And we're going to be preaching these three things. We're going to work through these three things together. There are three things. Number one, that we're going to have to work on, and that's relationships. We are going to need to work on relationships. Last year, we spoke about this. We started Relate Groups. Some of you are like, I'm in. I'm in. I want to be in a Relate Group. I want to be in this group to just get to know people. You put your name down. Somebody phoned you. You got into a group of people that you don't know. Now you know them, and it's fantastic. Some of you wrote your names down, and no one phoned you back. This is terrible. No one phoned you back. Like, I put my name down. Nobody phoned me back. I don't know if your number was wrong. or I don't, I don't know if they got back to you. Did you t- I don't know if you told anyone. But what I wanted to say is give it a shot again. Give it a shot again. Be vulnerable again. Get to know some people again. Let's work on relationship again. You see what happens over here? There's this group of people that get together. They're meeting in each other's homes. They're breaking bread in homes, having supper together and lunch together in each other's homes. In an ocean of individual islands and independence, we need to be intentional and we actively need to push into our country spirit of Ubuntu, which means that I'm not an island of my own, but I need you. And you need me. And together we are better than what we are alone. How much more the church? How much more when people come in here, you need to feel welcome here. Part of a compelling environment is where people feel that they're relating to those around them. This is what God's word says about that in 1 Corinthians. It says that God puts the body together and he gives greater honor to the parts that lacked it. It says there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. It kind of means this. It means if I walk in as the guy who preaches and go, you know what, we didn't have any food last night. Or the person walks in who uh, you just see sitting next to you says they, they also didn't have any, fo- any food last night. You don't go, geez, we need to get food to Matt because you know me more than you know others. We have equal concern for one another. That just because you're up here doesn't mean that we, don't have con- we have more concern for the person up here than the other person sitting next to us. Does that make sense? 
We have equal concern for one another. Then he goes on and he says this. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That's what we're meant to be. That's a compelling atmosphere right there. That when you suffer, I suffer with you. When I rejoice, you rejoice with me. It means that you might rejoice with me in your suffering, and I might suffer with you in my rejoicing. That's what it means. In Acts chapter 2, we see this happening as they shared their possessions, as they met together. So if we can apply this to our lives, it, it means this. It means that we're going to work on our relationships. We're going to be committed to try out another way to get to know people. It means that the person who's sitting in front of you, that you don't know their name, but you greet each other every week because you've been sitting in front of and behind each other for the last 10 years. But you're like, excuse me, for 10 years, I don't know your name. But listen, for the next 10 years, I'm going to know your name. So what is your name? And go and have coffee after the service together and get to know each other. Or invite someone to come to your house after the service and just to get to know each other. If you're new to Sterling, here's a great way for you to just, you know, to, to do this, right? Great way. Invite one of the elders and their wives to come and have coffee with you at your house. Just drop an invite. Hey, would, you like, would anybody like to come? Ask one of the pastors. Hey, could you and your wife just come around? And just, let's just get together. We want to know about the church. You don't have to only come to the meet and greet, but uh, hey, just drop an invite out. Hey, would you like to come? Let's work on a bit of relationship. Let's, let's do that. For those of you who are not white, you need to help us on this one and work really hard on this one. We have to work on this. We have to build relationships with each other. We have to do it because God's word says that that's what church is. And I want you to see this. It's not, it's not building relationships with more people. It's, it's building better relationships. It's the quality of the relationship that's better, not the amount of people that you relate to. It's not like Facebook where you just gather more friends and more friends and more friends. It's, it's really good friends. It's building really good relationships. So if you flip over, if you still open in Acts, flip over a few books and go to Ephesians. Go through Romans 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. And Ephesians chapter 4 is really interesting where, where Paul says to this uh, Ephesian church, he says to him, this is the kind of way that I want you to relate to each other. In verse 28 of chapter 4, he says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. We're, we're members of one another. Okay? It, it, this, is like, this is Ubuntu right there. We know this as South Africans. Here's the interesting one. The, the, ES, the, the NIV says, um, it says, in your anger, do not sin. This is what the English Standard Version has translated it as. It says, be angry and do not sin. <laughs> maybe, maybe Paul was the English Standard Version man. I don't, I don't know. Listen, the point is this one. If you're going to get angry, don't sin in your anger. Don't let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil because when you do that, the devil gets an opportunity to grow bitterness. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work or labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And by the way, that's the point of your labor. The point of your labor is so that you can work so that you can share with those in need. All right? That's the point of work. Notice? Then he says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, or by whom you were saved. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you as long as it 
uh, along with all kinds of malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So he's saying this, I want you to relate to each other in a different way. Okay? You relate to each other in a way that you change yourself in the relationship. You don't wait for that person to change themselves so that you like them more. Christians relate to each other based on grace, on what Jesus did for us. That's why we do it to each other. People who are not Christians go, I'm your friend because of how I feel when I'm around you. So, so try it out. Here's a bit of carnal advice. It's not the sermon. It's carnal advice This that I'm about to give you over here. When you meet a person for the very first time, ask them lots of questions about themselves and let them talk for the majority of the conversation. When you guys leave each other's company, that person will think you're amazing. They will. They'll walk away and they'll say this. Do you know what? Matt is amazing. He's such an interesting guy. But you've told him nothing about yourself. You know why you're so interesting? Because they got to talk all the time about themselves. And we like to talk about ourselves all the time. And so that's a good point right there. The Bible says differently. It says, hey, the quality of relationship is different. The quality of relationship is different. In the relationship, there is forgiveness and there is grace and there's truth. Put away falsehood. And you do it because of Christ who did it to you. That's how we do it. Great. So relationships. I'm going to work on that one. If we want to be a compelling place, people who come in here need to feel like they're a part of. In the world that we live in, people need to feel a part of before they'll believe in. And you can fight that as much as you like, but that's just the truth. People want to know, am I part of what's going on over here? Next one is this, and this is going to be a bit sensitive for all of us. But we need to work on relationships and we need to work on race. I'm not talking about running. I'm talking about race. We're going to need to work on this one. As a church, we're going to need to work on this one. We have to work on this one over here because our country struggles through this. And not just our country, but it seems like every country in the whole world at the moment is struggling with this. Apartheid. Black farm murderers. White farmers forcing black laborers into coffins and to eat dogs. They are all like that. Apartheid is over. Get over it. Friends, those things are just not helpful. It's just not helpful to do that. We can't just make comments about people who are different to us, assuming that we know everything. God's word says that we need to do things differently. And you may feel uncomfortable now, and you might be going like, I don't know why I came to church. I'm not coming back here again. But I want you to know we, we have to work past this. And we have to be intentional about this. It's not good enough to say I'm not a racist. And then when I ask you or you ask me, so you said you're not a racist. You know, can you name three black friends who've had a meal at your house in the last six months? And you're like, unless you're black. I mean, then you've got lots of black friends who had a meal in your house in the last six months. But I'm guessing that you didn't have many white people having a meal in your house in the last six months. And if you're white, you didn't have many black people having a meal in your house. That doesn't mean that you're not a racist. Listen, it, you might not be a flat-out racist, but every single one of us sitting in this building have this thing called residual racism in us. It means this, that we struggle with other races to a degree. Do you know why? Do you know when you... We just came from Cape Town, and uh, we were on holiday there, and and it was, as you might have seen in the news, the, the mountains and everything just seems to be burning in Cape Town. It's just like all of it seems to be burning. So we visited my father-in-law, and uh, in, in the house, there's this, there's, there's this black, black ash dust and gray dust all over stuff. It's just, it's all over the place. In his pool, it's, it's on the shelves, it's, it's everywhere. Now, he doesn't live on a mountain, and his house didn't burn down. 
But if you look around, there's the residual of those fires everywhere. There's the smell in the air. And there's no fire going on in his house, but it's there. All of us have been affected by racism, every single one of us. Whether you're black or white or Indian or it doesn't really matter. All of us have been affected by this. And so we all have this residualness on us of that. That's why it's so hard for you if you're white. It is so hard for you to walk past, or you don't walk past, we drive past. It's, it's so hard for us to drive past a 60-year-old black man watching him cut the grass and not go, yes, that shouldn't be, do- shouldn't be happening for an old man. An old man shouldn't be doing that. But if we had to see the 60-year-old white neighbor doing it, we'd be going, man, he should ask the garden boy next door to go and cut his grass. How many of you are feeling awkward now? Just me? There's the three of us. It's just, and it's, it's the three of us. No one else put your hands up behind you. It's, just, it's the three of us. No one else. Eight o'clock as well. It was just me. Thanks for joining me. Hey, guys. I think there's some things where we need to lighten up and laugh about some things. Like we really do, you know? But I really do think that, that there's part of this where we've really got to work hard. Because racism is, is rife, hey? In our country, it's still, it's still white on black. It's still black on white. It's still everyone against the Nigerians. It's <laughs> but it seems that I look around, it's not just South Africa. I look at... What's happening in America? And I look at what's happening in the UK and I look at what's happening everywhere else and I see it's there as well. But that doesn't give us any excuse because what I can tell you from looking around the world is that governments can't sort this problem out. In this amazing democratic country, I don't know if any of you watched the handover of power in America. It happened on Friday night here, which is the real time. It's South African time is the real time. It happened there in the morning. They caught up with us. and it, there was this, it, it's a celebration of democracy. As much as we disagree with you and your values, people voted for you, it's your turn to lead. Great picture of democracy. But uh, as one of the commentators said, as the camera panned across the crowd, it just went, did you notice all the people are white? Man, in the democratic country of freedom, people are struggling with racism. And people are struggling with racism all over the world. But I want you to know governments can't sort this out. Only the church can. Jesus said that as we come to know him, that in his presence in church, we've been baptized by one spirit. There is no more Jew or Gentile, black or white. There's no more male or female. There's no more slave or slave owner. There's no more rich or poor. We all come to Jesus and guess what, guys? It's, it's the same. It's the same. And you need to know that for some of you, that's going to be a problem. And I mean it's going to be a problem because one day when, when you die, if you, if you call yourself a believer, one day when you die, you believe you're going to stand before Jesus and receive a reward. And for some of you, that's going to be really hard because you're going to receive a, war, a reward from a man who's not what? Some of you are going to be like, hey, where's your boss? You will be. And you're going to discover Jesus is not what? That's a problem. He's not French like the Da Vinci Code said. His skin's going to be much darker than yours. Friends, we've got to work hard through this. Some of us have been, we were taught in church 
that people who are black are less than those who are white. Because Noah had a son. And his son laughed at him in his nakedness. And so Noah cursed him and said, you'll be a servant to your brothers. And so out of that, we were taught that he became black. And therefore, God cursed all black people to be the servants of everybody else. I just want you to know, you need to go back and read Genesis chapter 9. It doesn't say that. It is not there. He cursed his grandson. Yes, he didn't become a black man. Friends, we need to know that. It's important that as believers, we see that at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. It's important as believers that we understand that God made all of us, that essentially before him, we are created in his image. And whether you like it or not, the person who's sitting next to you whose skin color is different, they're also created in God's image. You, we have to see that. Just two chapters on from, from Genesis chapter 9 is Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, the people are gathered and they're building this tower up to heaven. And they go, look at us. We're, like, we're going to be like God. We're going to build this tower into heaven. God looks down and he goes, uh-uh. So what I'm going to do is I'm, you're going to speak different languages. You're not going to be able to understand each other. And God separates them on the languages. Notice he doesn't separate them on their skin color. He didn't, he didn't say that. So this is what we're going to do. Those who worked in the shade, they're going to go together. Those who are well tanned, they're going to go together. No, he didn't do that. He's like, I will separate them based on languages. And he does. A couple of thousand years, we fast forward, a couple of thousand years. And we find Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, the disciples are praying after Jesus said to them, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you'll be my witnesses in, in every nation. Not, not just yours, that's like you, same color as you, all nations. And here's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes down. And guess what? The people start speaking in different languages. And those who have come from all over the world to Jerusalem, they now understand the gospel in their own language. And so where God separated the nations because of sin, now God draws them all together. And I want you to know it's God's plan that heaven will be a new tribe with people who speak all languages, all colors, all nationalities. That's what heaven is going to be like. And if that's what heaven's going to be like, friends, that's what church should be like. That's what we should be like. It should be a compelling place. It should be a place that our government officials hear about. It. They're like, what? There's a church where people worship together in different colors and they're friends and actually they do eat together. Really? We want to come and look at that. And they're like, why? And you go, you know, it's, just, it's Jesus. I have no reason to invite that man to my house. Because you know what his grandparents did to my grandparents? But I invite him to my house because of what our great brother did, Jesus. He saved me and he saved that man. And so we come to the cross, both having sinned against God. Friends, we've got to move away from that bad teaching that we maybe got when we were young. That we got, especially if you're white, that got entrenched into us in an old order of, of doing things. We have to intentionally and actively embrace racial diversity as a church. I want to say this, that if you have been worshiping at Sterling and you're not white, I want to say to you, thank you for worshiping with us in a language that's not your own. And thank you for allowing us to read the scriptures to you in a language that's not yours and listen to the sermon in a language that's not yours from a man who's not the same color as you. I'm humbled by that. Because I know how hard it is when 
when I visit other churches and I have to sit and listen and I don't understand the language. I feel a oneness because we're one in Christ, but I don't understand what's being spoken about. And I want to ask you to not wait. Don't be back-footed on this one and wait for white people to build relationships with you. But I want to ask you for the sake of Christ to be front-footed and start building relationships first. Because if someone is front-footed, others will follow. Guys, we've got to do this. This is so important for us to do this. We have to do this. The gospel is more important than what our histories have told us and what our current realities tell us we are. The gospel is way more important than that. So relationships, race. Yeah, before I go on to the next one, let me just say this one. If you have been visiting Sterling and you're like, man, I love this church. My church got, you know, it's got two blacks, so that's why I'm here. Um, I, I would ask that you hop skip out of this one. Perhaps there'll be another church for you. But please don't come here and dream that this will, this will be the white church of East London. Because we don't want it to be the white church of East London. So please don't. And we, we'll love you. But please, we want this church to be a church that reflects our country and reflects heaven. Let's jump on to the next one, last one, Reaching. So we want to build relationships. We're going to need to do that. We're going to have to work on race and our relationships with people of other cultures. But we're going to have to work on reaching. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13 to 16, Jesus says to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And by telling him that, he says, like salt brings flavor to a meal and light gives direction. You're the same. And he's going like, whether you like it or not, this is what you are. If you're a believer, when you walk into a room, you bring flavor into that room. If you're a sportsman, and after the game, you walk into the changing room, and suddenly everybody's quiet. You're a Christian, you walk in, and suddenly guy's telling a joke, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, and then, and then, and he sees you, and he's like, no. It's because he's telling a joke that a believer should not hear. And the reason why he stops is because you just flavored the conversation with righteousness. That's why. Like he thinks he's stopping because he's like, no, don't tell him. And you're like, yeah, yeah Jesus got you, boy. We bring flavor in. And this is what happens to this church. In the church in Acts, is they, they're flavoring the whole of Jerusalem. They're gaining favor with those around them. People are seeing what's happening and seeing these people are putting into practice what they believe. And friends, we, we influence. We are people who influence. We influence this city, this great city of East London. One of our core values is that we love East London. We, we want to love East London even more. And for some of you, you think it's Perth, but it's not. And you're like, why are things not working like they work in Perth? It's because it's called East London, not Perth. That's why. But we want to love the city of East London. 
Tim Keller talks about cities, and he says this. A city was a place of refuge. It's a, it's a place of safety, so people could come into the city. It's a place of development and, and a place where, where people, where, where cultures are mined and, and the, the gemstones of cultures come out. It's a place for people to meet God. And I think about our city, and I think of, of Southernwood, that thousands of young people are going to come to from rural areas into Southernwood this year to start studying at one of the universities or training institutions. And these cultures are going to mix in our city. And we're camping on the outside. And cultures are mixing. I'm going, what a, this is a great place for people to come to know Jesus. People come into cities and they should be able to find Jesus in that place. And we will influence our city. And, and when we think of church influencing city, I don't want you to think about just Sundays and go, yep, we influence the city. You know, you know, we can work out the parking problem because we influence this culture badly on Sundays. So you know, we should buy more houses and just flatten them and then we'll park off the street and then we'll really influence it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about from Monday right through to next week, Sunday, how are we influencing the city? We influence our, our city in a number of different ways. Take a look at this one over here. This picture gives you a picture of how we influence our city. We, we influence our city. Some of you are in business and you're, you're influencing and salting business. Some of you are salting the education sector. Some of you are teachers and you have influence there and, and you're, you're, you're bringing your influence into that area. Some of you are, are influencing the arts. And I love the way that Christianity is influencing the arts in our city. And we can go to the Guild Theater and we can watch dances and theater productions being put on by Christians. And there's this message of salvation. And I just go, man, that is just wonderful. It'd be great if we could do so more of that. It's just, it's beautiful that we see Christianity influencing the arts instead of politics influencing the arts. What about the media? You influence the media. You do that. Do you work in the media sector? Do you work in the social sector, the sector that influences compassion and justice and family? Because even if you don't work there, we each have our own families, and so we influence those areas as well. And what about the area of government? Some of you are there, and we should be influencing government as well. And even if you're not working in the government sector, we can influence government because God calls us as believers to, be, speak, to speak prophetically to government. Government is given the sword to rule, and we are the ones who are given God's word to make sure they do it right. And so we influence this world that we live in, and we influence our city. But not only do we influence, we also direct like a light. We direct. It means that we direct people to Jesus. And, uh, and today, if you got dragged here by somebody, and you're like, oh, my word, I... You know, just open the newspaper, there's racism. I come to church, the guy's telling me I'm a racist in church. And, and I'm, I'm sorry that was your experience, but I'm not really sorry. I hope you heard. The reason why you got dragged here today, the reason why your moms and dads drag you to church, the reason why your husband dragged, your wife dragged you to church, the reason why your kids are saying, please come with us to church on Sunday, the reason why is because they so desperately want you to know the Jesus who they know. Because they know, your friends, your family, they know that Jesus changed their life, and they so want you to experience the same thing. And so if you're exploring Jesus and kind of asking questions of faith, Here's a way that you can apply this for you. You can apply this over the next year. It's just intentionally start going, all right, God, show more of yourself to me. I'm going I'm, I'm to show up in church. Would you just show more of yourself to me? 
God, would you direct me? Would you show me more of you? I want to just know. And, and when he does show you things, act on those things, right? Act on those things. So you might go, something he might show you is, hey, God's word is really, um, it's powerful and it's important. And you go, your response to that might be, all right, I'm going to read a bit of God's word, right? Just, just respond a little bit. Just respond in that. And if you do that, God will change your life. This year, God will, God will change your life. I promise you that. We show our friends the way to Jesus. We do this by praying for opportunities to have uh, spiritual conversations with them. We make friends with people who don't believe. You know, just, I think one of the big problems we have as Christians is the longer you're a Christian, the more all of your friends are Christians. And, and, then, you're, and then you're going like, I didn't really have an opportunity to tell anyone about Jesus because everyone I know knows Jesus. You know? So it's really hard. I have to go tell someone I don't even know about Jesus. Well, build some relationships with people outside of that. You'll get a much broader worldview as well. And, and who knows, you could have some spiritual conversations, spirit, spirit-led conversations. Share your story. Share your story of how Jesus changed your life. So the person who goes, yeah, I don't believe in this Jesus stuff, Jesus just shows up. Perhaps Jesus just showed up in your life, and you can go, well, let me tell you how Jesus showed up in my life. I don't believe Jesus heals people. Well, how about sharing a story of your experience? Perhaps God healed you of something. And when someone says, I don't believe in this healing, you can go, look, I don't know what you believe, but I believe the same thing. Let me tell you what happened. Somebody prayed for me, I got better. You could say that that was a doctor who uh, did something long ago and it only affected me now. You could say that it's God. All I'm saying is either God did it or it was a big coincidence, which I would say is the same thing. God did it. Tell your story. Share your experiences. Or invite people to church. Invite them to come along with you to your small group. If those are compelling places, you'll love to bring them there. You love to bring them along. You see, friends, we are the rescue team. And I want you to leave with this in your head. We are the rescue team. You know, when there's an earthquake that takes place, rescue teams come in to dig people out of the rubble. We are the rescue team who go in and we go to the edge of hell and we pull people out of the rubble who are about to fall into hell. We pull them out of the rubble and we go, come, let me, let me take you to this refugee camp where you can explore Jesus. That's what we do. We, we, we don't, when, when there's earthquakes, you, you, you don't send an email to, to Haiti and go, hey guys, I just want you to know I really feel for you in your earthquake. What I'd like to suggest is you get together a committee and, uh, and work out how you're going to dig yourselves out of the rubble. You know, I mean, some of you won't be able to do, some people won't be like at, at present in that meeting. They're going to be still, you know, between a rock and a hard place. They're still going to be there. But I'm sure that they'll join you later and I'm sure that you can find some resources. No, we don't do that. We load up a plane full of resources and we fly across with our sniffer dogs and sonar equipment and we look for people. And friends, that's what a people who build a compelling church are doing. We're throwing in our resources and we're putting our heads together so that we can scan the horizon for those who don't know Jesus, who's stuck in the rubble of hell, about to go into hell. And we're going, you know what? We're going to pull them out. We're going to make it possible to be a great place for people to explore, be introduced to, and grow in Jesus. The question we must ask ourselves is this. Joe Saxton, who's the director of 3D Ministries. If we can hit that next slide over here. Here's the quote that she says. What is the limit of our compassion? What's the limit of your compassion for those people in the rubble? Is it the woman who had an abortion who doesn't have regrets? Is it the convict, the illegal immigrant, the gay couple next door who are raising kids, the sex offender, or the racist? 
What is the limit of your compassion? Because I'm really grateful that Jesus didn't have any limits when he saved me. And if you look back, you'll probably go the same. I'm really grateful that Jesus didn't have any limits when he saved you. That he saved you. And our role is to go and be the rescue team. Let's become the most compelling place for those who are seeking and exploring Christ, for those who are being introduced to Christ, and for those who are growing in Christ. Let's be the most compelling place in our city, this great city of East London, for the sake of Jesus, right? Let's pray together. Jesus, we know that uh, if uh, we are going to be anything near what the church looked like in Acts chapter 2, that you are going to have to come and do it in our hearts. Father, we know this because like all great moves that you've done, you take the initiative. And we know that this one we can't leave to the elders. We can't leave it to the deacons. We can't leave it to small group leaders. We can't leave it to the pastors. God, if this is going to be a compelling church, we need to be the ones who step up and build relationships and, and defeat racism in our own hearts first before we blame it out in our cultures. We're going to be needed to be the ones who step up and reach those who don't know Jesus and don't just wait for others to do it. We need to be that rescue team. And so, Lord, would you come and start in our own lives? Come and stir our hearts, Lord. God's been stirring your heart this morning. Maybe you just want to respond to him and say, God, you stirred my heart in this area. I just want to acknowledge it. This is where you stirred my heart today. God, I found myself being really frustrated at that point. I don't know why. Would you help me? Father, this year, may we be a church that brings glory to your name. May we be people who live out authenticity, knowing we're not perfect, but knowing that you're not done with us yet. Father, I pray that wherever we go tomorrow, where we work, live, or play, God, give us opportunities to work on these things. Empower us by your Spirit, Lord. Make your face to shine on us. God, for your glory, not for ours, not for the glory of Sterling Baptist Church, but for the glory of your name. For the greatness of who you are that we know you are and all that you can do which is immeasurably more than what we could ever ask or imagine. We ask you that in Jesus' name. And all God's people who agreed said amen. 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 God bless everybody.